welcome to the This Because podcast. I'm Katie. And I'm Zoe. And we're brand strategists, social entrepreneurs and friends, exploring how the way we live and work impacts the people and the planet around us. This podcast is an open conversation about values and ethics, sustainability and purpose, brands and business. This week, we're chatting about changing behaviours and forming new habits. Okay, so February, getting to February, is always a bit of a relief, hey? Yeah, big time. (laughs) Big time. No longer am I stressing whether it's socially acceptable to stop wishing people a happy new year. Like, I don't know when you stop doing that. Is it like the first time you see them or now that it's Feb or when you're back into the swing of things? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's, yeah, something actually I always try and avoid because um, how happy is the new year anyway? I don't know. January is always pretty bleak uh, for me. Um, I've never felt it drag. I don't think like it did this year because boy, (laughs) did it drag for me. Um, I was probably made a bit worse. I started the month, um, with a really long two week cold, not COVID, um, had many tests, many PCRs. Um, it was just a old fashioned, (laughs) unglamorous cold. Um, but it left me kind of bedridden and very little motivation for about two weeks. So maybe, um, that, made things feel even slower but February new month my birthday month feeling a lot better a lot better you are right January um does feel like the longest of the year Uh, I don't want to dwell on it but I think it's worth looking back um to understand why it feels so long and I think there's a lot that's happening in it despite it also having 31 days yeah that is too many (laughs) too many (laughs) too many days um but it's like it's a time where our social feeds are just full of resolutions and declarations and you're being bombarded about advice and like be your best self this year, transform. And it's a lot of pressure coming, you know, out of a pandemic. Well, it's still in a pandemic mm-hmm. and it's cold and dark and just trying to get by is an achievement in itself, let alone trying to like transform who you are. You've got like Blue Monday's advice, sales, content, every brand is using it as a hook. Um, but on that, I think partly why we wanted to do this episode was we could talk about behavior change in marketing and what works and what doesn't. Yeah, I think that sounds great because, um, yeah, like you say, there's a lot of pressure to change yourself, I think, in January or do things differently um, or make big sweeping statements of resolutions you're going to make. But actually, how practical are they? And I think it's um, good to discuss uh, together um so yeah you mentioned blue monday which is sadly genius <laughs> um i don't know how many people know about it but basically it was started by uk travel companies years ago um and now seems to have formed a huge part of um cultural consciousness so it uses kind of um pseudoscience where they determined the saddest day of the year which uh sadly if it's your birthday it's the third monday in january um And then they use this as a kind of fact story to get PR and encourage people to book holidays to beat the winter blues, which in itself is really quite bleak. It's saying you're in a terrible place now. This is an awful day. Where do you want to be in a couple of months time? Um, So now it kind of forms the basis of quite a lot of brand and charity and NGO strategies, social media strategies, topical calendars. Um, 
And not to be cynical, but all it really is, actually, I will be cynical, all it really is is to sell more flights and more vacation packages and persuade more and more people to not be happy where they are on that day, but think about where they really want to be um, as an alternative. Oh, it's so grim, but it is clever. (laughs) (laughs) It's the kind of campaign um, we know people will spend the rest of their lives talking about just because of the success of entering in the public's mind. Mm -hmm. I've seen lots of similar behavior change used in campaigns um, everywhere, but um, in Canada, sometimes they've been a bit more subtle. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a stat that's been thrown around for years and it's that it takes 21 days to form a new habit. This is partially true depending on the habit, but it can actually take anywhere between 18 to 65, Mm -hmm. depending on what that habit is and how many triggers triggers you're exposed to. And it's really evident here because um, Canadians really love their coffee. Mm-hmm. We have a uh, nationally loved, um, very patriotic uh, affiliation with Tim Hortons, mm-hmm. which is a coffee and donut company. And for forever, it's had basically a monopoly over ah. coffee in Canada. And then you have new entrants coming in like McDonald's who source all of their coffee um, it's all Arabica, which is seen as the better bean, mm-hmm. and it's all Reinforced Alliance certified. And their way of entering the market was, let's give people free coffee for 21 days. Ah, uh, to make them come back from McDonald's. Yeah. To stress you're, you're having a new Wow. And coffee, being as addictive as it is, you're making it free for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're making that habit a well-trodden route to their store. Yeah. Wow. So you break that habit, and within a month, you've converted lots of Tim Hortons coffee drinkers over to McDonald's. Their coffee is actually nice, yeah, yeah, and it's really sourced. And it's a hard, it's a hard thing. So then Tim Hortons retaliate with its own type of yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> coffee uh, incentive. But you see this happening more and more. And any new entrant, especially to coffee um, in Ontario, where where I'm based, mm-hmm. uh, tends to be this kind of free run of things to try to change that habit and it is super clever um but it is wild because it just keeps going on and on i was gonna say and i wonder how much marketing budget they have in order to just say actually let's put all our marketing budget in free coffee because (laughs) we just need to give away as much as possible and make that a well-trodden route that's that is impressive i think actually um waitrose in the uk uk supermarket did uh similar when they launched their my waitrose card as well i think i think you could get a free newspaper and a free coffee or maybe one or other, which again, incentivize people to travel there daily to get something that was daily and routine, um, make it into their, put it into their daily routine, put it into their habits, and then done enough times, like you said, 21 days or more, um, that habit becomes um, part of your life. Wow. Actually, I think from a, um, it's interesting when you think about those things as well of creating a habit, no wonder so many people fail at resolutions if it takes 21 days and you've only got 30, 31 in January and you're already feeling pretty bleak. Because I think I read from a resolution point of view that by the second Friday of January, most people have given up their resolutions. Um, and it's kind of working out why that is and why changing our own behavior is so difficult. <clears throat> one, if it, you need 21 days for it to actually become a habit um, or more. And I think also we probably set each other or ourselves completely unrealistic and unachievable goals. Um, it's a bit like when you write your to-do list. I've got much better at, at it now, but I used to just put like proposal on it or presentation rather than actually 
<laughs> and then just look at essay and look at it all day. Being like, well, I'm not going to do that. And so then I kind of beat myself up for three weeks because I still haven't done that essay. Whereas actually, if I'm a bit smarter and write write introduction or read this article, then it's actually achievable. Um, so, and I guess a lot of people, I've had a few people texting me, which was really nice actually, um, because lots of people do dry January. And obviously, because I don't drink, asking people asking me how to help that in dry January. Um, and yeah, you suddenly realize how tough it is for people to change a whole lifestyle habit um, because it, it something like alcohol bumps into everything because it affects how you socialize. It affects um, <clears throat> how you feel about yourself and it challenges something you've probably done for 20 years. Um, so suddenly to switch, turn a switch on after Christmas when you've been drinking probably the most you have a new year to try and turn a switch it seems really unachievable. Um, so luckily, no, not luckily, unluckily, we all feel quite disappointed in ourselves. So yeah, ultimately, shifting behavior is super hard and forming habits are really hard and then put it in a bleak month, January, even harder. Um, but I guess I always associate this stuff with kind of sustainable and ethical thinking as well because when I was running this because I spent a lot of time working on how to change people's behavior and I think the work we've done with do the green thing as well um, and other kind of sustainability campaigns is trying to understand how to shift someone from doing something um, that might be damaging to something that might be more positive um, and how you make sustainable living more desirable and how you embed like new purchasing habits or persuade people to do things differently has always been a kind of focus for me, I guess. I'd love to know what you learned um, from your shop and this because because in all of the research I've done for clients and trying to change behavior, there's such a disconnect between action and intent. Mm. If you survey people and say, would you choose sustainable over a non-sustainable alternative? They'll say yes. But when you observe them in a shop in practice, they rarely do. Yeah. Like they know that it's the right quote unquote right thing to do. It's the same as um I worked on a project years ago and I had to do a focus group with teenage boys and it was on um uh it's it's really grim, but it was on um indecent images of children mm-hmm. and doing a public health campaign on getting young men to understand that they're looking at um, inappropriate content like it's just it's young children yeah. but they see that because they don't know mm-hmm. and in the focus group you ask teenage boys if they've ever streamed pornography mm-hmm. and 90% will say no because <laughs> we're no. trying to say what we think when people want to hear yeah exactly and it's the same it's, it's behavior across the board whether it's to do with pornography sustainability ethical mm-hmm. action people know what is deemed the right thing to do and how to be seen to be doing the right thing. But in action, it looks so different. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to know what you learned from trying to get people to shop better and like this action intent gap. I think that in action intent gap is huge, isn't it? Because that's kind of how we fail at, um, we fail at so many things because we have huge intentions and you can say something really big and lofty and sound great and know that's what you want to say. But yeah, if you don't then plot the actions, you can never get to that intent but I think none of us spend the time plotting the actions and so therefore we don't do them um yeah so I guess it's not really a science it's super simplistic what I basically decided and for anything I created any piece of creative and any experience I actually do it for sustainable um behavior change but also just for anything is I had kind of two rules make it easy and make it desirable and it wasn't much more (laughs) complex than that because that's what I realized that's how I do make any decision 
Um, we're inherently lazy and routine and habit-based creatures. Um, and I basically just made the assumption for myself that unless it was easy for me to make a, a swap, we'll just talk ourselves out of it. Um, so it's a bit like trying to say, I'm going to go to the gym. Actually, if you go to, I find if I say I'm going to do any exercise and I leave it till the end of the day, I have gone through my head about eight times of different ways to get out of it. Whereas if I do it first thing in the morning, I actually do it because I wake up and I actually feel motivated to go for a walk or go and do yoga. Um, so yeah, we are just cruel at ourselves of, um, self-talk of just saying, you can't do that. You'll do it at this time. Oh no, actually I need to go and to the post office and you put so many barriers in place. So making it easy, I put the products online. Um, and then I also put them in a store in a very busy junction of Soho. Um, I had a lot of resistance actually when I was saying early doors that I wanted this because to be a physical shop. Um, because I think it was, you know, massive e-commerce boom, everything needed to be online. Um, people said it was just a waste of time to be in a physical place because physical stores were going to, um, be defunct. I guess, but I really wanted to create something that you had to walk past. That was part of the ease part. I was like, actually going on a website, if you've never heard of it before, is not that easy. Whereas if you bump into something a bit like you said with Tim Hortons on your route and or you're going to McDonald's and it's on your route to work, actually it becomes far easier than going out of your way and going online. I love, I, I think in general, people love offering unsolicited and helpful advice. So true. <laughs> To entrepreneurial women, yeah. or if you say, this is my plan, I'm going to do it. People who have no intention of helping you, yeah. no intention of supporting you, are the ones going, you shouldn't do that and you can't do that. And I, personally, I find that incredibly motivating. Yeah. But at the same time, it can be so daunting because you're like, why are you telling me yeah. this? And you're like, saying, I have yeah, and I think exactly that. You're like, I've got a website that I don't have. At that point, you're like, I don't have loads of money to do Facebook ads or other ads, not that I necessarily would do them now anyway, but I don't have loads of budget to um, to promote my online store. And yes, in theory, online stores can make a lot of money, but not if no one knows about them or can't find them. <laughs> Whereas if you're walking past a store in the center of Soho and it looks interesting and go in, then I knew if I wanted to get to, I can't even remember what number, like 500 customers quickly, that was a far quicker way for me to do that than um, be hemorrhaging cash on ads online that probably weren't going to work anyway um yeah, and you, get to test it. you get to see and you get um live feedback like, was really helpful research. live feedback more research better data because you've got a wider and you get more qual yeah on, on, on online you get quant you get people like signing checking out and you don't really know anything aside from their journey yeah you're doing it in real life you get to understand like what is actually motivating them and why are they choosing to buy from you yes what brought and you can watch them in store, which sounds super creepy, but it's actually really interesting <laughs> seeing how a customer journey around a store actually works and those that want to talk to you and those that don't. And I guess that was another big thing is, yes, you can be on the corner of uh, Soho Street and my family and friends will probably kill me because I um, was adamant that we needed to paint the store inside and out, which took too many hours for <laughs> a six week pop-up or something but I was just really keen that it had to look desirable and I didn't want it to look like a shabby um old school charity shop pop-up because I was like actually you're not going to persuade people to come in I wanted people to come in first and foremost and be like this looks like an exciting place to be um so making it desirable so it had been you know ethical products have been itchy and scratchy for too long um and actually because I came from a design background and I like nice things, <laughs> I didn't want to compromise on the design when shopping 
helping and people said oh you can do that later on you can do that later on it's like yeah but I have one chance for people to be introduced to this brand yes you can improve certain things later on but you need to make an impact first and foremost um so I didn't want um to make people feel guilty on the high street I wanted it just to feel like a new exciting shop and so I had to try and take away the ethical and sustainable thinking in my head and I was like if I had the if I was launching a shop for anyone else, what would I do? Um, so we had a really black exterior and a bright orange interior um, designed by really brilliant designers. Um, and yeah, it felt like a huge amount of effort at the time um, and my extra money to paint the shop. But luckily I had loads of lovely friends and family who helped, but it was definitely worth it because <clears throat> I also didn't put the word sustainable or ethical on the outside. It was just an orange shop. So people would always come in and go, you're orange. What are you? You're orange. What do you do? Why are you orange? And so it was a really good conversation starter because it felt more like a um, theater set, I guess, than a shop. Um, and actually then it meant that I was talking to these people straight away and could say the messages. And then once they're in there, the projects, the products were so nice and had such lovely, meaningful stories that people liked them, learnt the story and were happy to talk because they came in basically across the threshold talking. So they would continue to talk. Um, so I guess it sits into I tried to fit it into the habits that people were used to and say, actually, it needs to be easy and, and on a street corner and it needs to, on a busy place in, in London. Um, and it needs to feel exciting to buy these things rather than worthy. So, yeah, I guess kind of behavior change wise, that's not, you know, you could argue further down the line, it's much better if you don't buy at all. And definitely now we've moved on and we've talked about renting things or loaning things or sharing things, um, products. But I guess for me, this because was always like the first step to the very, I guess what people call in that kind of green world, the light green people, the people that were just about considering living a slightly greener, more sustainable life or weren't at all. Um, and were just on their busy day-to-day -day commutes and actually just trying to get that first shift of behavior change in the simplest way um, was always important, I guess, to me. I really love that. Well, I loved your orange shop because anytime I remember when you were there and I'd come all the time, I remember telling people, meet me at the bright orange shop in Soho and that'd be like the only thing I'd give them. <laughs> and they always found, found it. <laughs> but I think there's something else about um, the ambition of trying to influence people that aren't that deep green, yeah. that aren't the ones who will pay a premium for things that are better for the environment or better for human rights. And there's something I think to be said about changing the way that people shop. Um, that is for an, uh, an altruistic or invisible benefit mm -hmm. as opposed to a selfish benefit. Um, and I guess one of the things that we've talked about a lot is like habits and how we create new ones or break old ones or be a bit more conscious about our choices and be a bit more aware of what we're doing. And I thought it would be great to have a chat about like things that we know through our work, mm -hmm. great ways changing people's habits or changing how they think one of the most genius ones I've seen and I actually think this started in a public health campaign where um you're trying to uh if you're trying to start something or stop something one of the most effective ways is through affirmation mm. so if you change your password for that thing so for example if like my husband you were trying to not shop from Amazon yep. because they're terrible and they don't pay their taxes and they treat people like garbage and a whole host of other reasons. Yeah. Um, 
change your password to don't shop here. Oh, that's so and good. It's a constant reminder. You have to literally type it in. Yeah. And you're, you're literally pegged against your own consciousness mm-hmm. of like, um, it's like cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes. You're typing in don't shop here and you're like, oh, <laughs> I remember the loop I need to be in. <laughs> yeah. You have this deliberate reminder. It's, I know it's been used a lot in public health interventions, like helping people quit smoking, but it's that constant reinforcement over time. Um, I know that obviously uh, your keychain or Google Chrome remembers your passwords mm-hmm. for you now, which makes it harder to do this. But I know in the past when that wasn't the case, mm-hmm. this has been a really effective way, but I think it can be applied to a lot of different things where you are just reinforcing those affirmations as a, a way of being aware and stopping. I think there's another thing around recognizing when you're being targeted to buy something or do something through clever behavioral science implemented by marketeers like us well, we're going to give away all of our tricks. Yeah, we're, we're taught to do it isn't it it's funny isn't it <laughs> yeah there's like the buy one get one so you think you're getting a deal there's the loss aversion get it now before it's gone mm-hmm. there's reduction in price so you think you're getting like better value um there's so many different tricks of the trade that um play into people there's the lottery where people are like oh it's a gamble why not and although these may seem like just little tricks that we're aware of they work they're so highly effective yeah. in getting consumed um there's a book called the choice factory by richard shotton and it is a really great read uh the the marketing line for the book is this is the book marketeers don't want you to read but it's all about behavioral bias and the tricks of the trade that um, are used to influence people's behavior. And I highly recommend it because even like when you read it and you're like, oh my God, that's why I feel incessant need to do this thing or to buy this thing. You're like, they're playing me. Yeah. <laughs> they're playing me hard. <laughs> they're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that book because I haven't read it. <clears throat> but I'd really like to. I'm reading a book at the moment, which is about uh alcohol I'm not going to remember the name right now but it is again all about it's mapping um someone giving up alcohol and how alcohol and um big alcohol has been marketed against how tobacco was but 60 years out and it's actually really fascinating because it's all about marketeers advertising psychology the sociology of it um and exterior influences on us that assume that um by being able to drink, we're free. Whereas actually it's saying how patriarchally it's actually saying that we're actually being more um, suppressed. But it's a really interesting book because it is all about things that you don't associate, you associate as your own decision, um, but actually you realise suddenly how many other people and big businesses are persuading you to do things. Um, Yeah, it's quite fascinating. Oh, pop it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, it's a good book. Annoyingly, though, by being a <laughs> perfectionist, I oh, I thought I'd ordered it with one cover and a different cover came, which I was less happy about. But that's just a... That's just <laughs> a all of you would notice that. Yeah, that's just a designer stress that I wanted the more colourful one, but a different one came. But hey. Uh, yeah, I guess for myself, uh, how I've helped change my own behaviours for some things is just like you say with affirmations and blockers, I have to start um, answering people in my head or doing things with a no rather than a yes. Cause I think it's taken me so long to learn this, but I am a, I've always been kind of a doer and a can doer and a horrible people pleaser. Um, so for so long, 
And I think you're trained uh, probably in this way when you have a job and you work for other people. I was always kind of, yes, and then how am I going to do it? Um, someone asked me something, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And then you work out in your head how and whether that's inconvenient for you rather than kind of starting with no and work back from there. Because I feel like if my default answer is no, then I can give myself longer to work out if it's something I want to do or can do or feel able to do rather than if I start with yes then it's like actually going back on a yes feels more stressful um so that's one kind of thing I've tried to learn to do more to help change my behavior I have to be quite disciplined you're excellent at saying no because whenever I feel uncomfortable saying no I message you (laughs) and I'm how do I say no to this? And you're it's like, really hard, no. isn't it? It's really hard. It's something you learn and it's so much easier to say no for other people as well. So I think you texting me those things is really helpful because it retrains my um, kind of stubbornness to be like, no, you have to say no. Uh, and then actually, if you said no and at some point you think, actually, I could do that, then you can work back from that. Um, and it's definitely easier that way, I find, than trying to get out of a hole where you've overcommitted to do a piece of work that you can't do in half the time for no, none of the money. <laughs> Not good. Exactly. And it feels so good to say no. So good. Um, And then I guess the other thing that I think we've both talked about here is like, unless it's easy, you have to kind of overcompensate convenience because you have places like Amazon that are saying, I'm going to deliver something to you basically 10 minutes ago. Um, And therefore it's really easy just to continue in that habit of convenience. And I think it's making sure we kind of retrain ourselves to take time and wait for things so I've got a resolution I failed at miserably that I set at the kind of end of last year as I didn't want to buy I often drink oat milk but Tom doesn't he drinks cow's milk and we always order it in plastic (laughs) containers and I know there's a really lovely refill shop near where I live so I bought the glass bottles and I was trying to when we were preparing for this episode I was like why have I failed so badly at that and it's because I told myself I'm not going to drink plastic bottled milk anymore I'm going to get refills but it's a bit like that that was the intent but I actually never planned any of the actions of what that would mean (laughs) so obviously I failed because it is something if I'm going to do that I actually have to think well that's different than doing a Sainsbury's order or popping to the corner shop to pick up some food and grab the milk I actually it's not very far but I actually have to plan into my diary to go down to that shop make sure I've done it have planned it because I need to have those um glass bottles with me because otherwise I often walk past I'm like well I haven't got the bottles so I can't get the milk but it's those things without actually overcompensating for (laughs) that kind of convenience of it I am destined to fail so it's one of those things if I'm desperate to actually do that and not buy plastic bottles of milk I know I almost need to schedule in a time each week that I make a routine and a habit of going down with the glass bottles filling them up and coming back it would probably be a 10 minute round trip but because I'm so used to that convenience, each week I don't do it. I can just think, oh, I'll just add it to the um, supermarket order. So that's, I think, why often people fail and definitely why I'm failing. Um, another thing I guess I've done this year is I want to draw more. So thinking on the easy and desirable thing, I have just had to put different drawing materials in every room of my house. <laughs> sounds mad but it's a bit like reading as well it's like you can't expect yourself to read more if you haven't got a book (laughs) or if you can't see that book so I definitely have tried to put a sketchbook or a pencil or something where and also be less um, precious about where I draw um, just because if that's a habit I want to 
um, do this year, I have to actually make it possible and make it easy for me to do that and make sure there's some nice pens and, and pieces of paper. And the same with books, I guess. I uh, always want to read more and I always find it much easier to scroll on my phone instead of reading. But what I have found a little trick is I have very different moods of what I want to read when. So I try and have a nonfiction book and a fiction book on the go so that I can't then say, oh, well, I don't want to read that book now, so I won't read at all. It gives me like two options to read, which I always think is trying to persuade myself that it might be more possible. So I guess that overall message is I, in order to change any of my behavior and hopefully help other people change behavior is I have to set routines rather than make lofty resolutions. Nice. Have you got any have you got any routines or that you're working on in 2022? Yeah, this this is kind of an ongoing one, but um my mom my whole life even now despite me having not lived close to her in like yeah or longer actually. Um she always says, "Kate, you burn your candle at both ends." And I, I used to be like, no, it's fine. Like, I feel fine. Like, I'm busy, but like, I'm quite happy with the way that things are. And I, a reflection from that, and I think the slowing of stuff because we've, we've had what two years of staying at home. Yeah, got quite slow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I run to be really conscious about incorporating more self care actions into my daily routine. Mm-hmm. We autopilot our way through the day. We brush our teeth twice we shower once like we have these things that we do because we just know that's part of our daily routine and our habits and I keep thinking about how you don't even think about that you just you just kind of do it mm, you know it's almost like you're ticking off the list quickly like got to get it done rather than yeah. actually it's quite a large chunk of my day so I could maybe enjoy it <laughs> yeah and I keep thinking about how to add other things into my routine for example like as soon as I log off from work just spending 20 minutes stretching oh my gosh that's amazing for something that's relatively short period of time I bet you then get so many positives from doing 20 minutes of stretching for the rest of the day I mean I haven't done this (laughs) it's fine you want to do do. it's quite hard to stretch at the moment isn't it you're very close to having a baby (laughs) (laughs) you'll have all sorts of new routines yeah there's just something I think about um if you know you're going to shower every day what else can or like brush your teeth every day what can you latch on to those moments that make it easier and I think that's that convenience part is you can literally rewire yourself to do things differently yeah and um it's just a conscious decision yeah yeah. and it can start small you can start big but for me it's like embedding more routines to do that self-care and prioritize that for this year amazing seems possible and, I, and actually yeah. something we've always done, isn't it, Katie? I think probably from day, well, maybe year one that we met each other. Uh, I can't remember whose book we read, but about an accountability buddy. And actually, if you tell someone, that's always stuck with me. It's like, if you tell someone you're doing it, then you're more likely to do it. So I wholeheartedly encourage other people to find, <clears throat> you don't have to be the same accountability buddy for everything you do, but definitely, well, for you, sorry, Katie, you are. <laughs> but for other people it's just it's just really helpful if someone else knows you're doing something um because then you've sort of forgotten that you said you'd do it and then next time you speak to them they say oh how is that going and you're like oh yeah you're right actually by sharing it um it's not to make I guess it is ultimately to make you feel accountable but it's just to remind you and have a friendly reminder of what your intentions were and it can change but it's just nice to know that um 
you're not drowning in it on your own, I guess. Yeah. And it's judgment-free. Judgment-free. I think that's the, yeah. the accountability buddy is there to help you realize your dreams and goals, not there to like micromanage yes. <laughs> your own projects. That's so true. And those two books that we've still failed four years oh on <laughs> to write. But it's good. It's good to laugh at. It's good to laugh to say <laughs> those books have not been written, but maybe they will one day. They will. They will. So as always, thanks so much for joining us. Um, sorry, it's been a bit of a delay. Uh, we had a bit of a hiatus between December and um, January, but um, we wanted this to not feel stressful for either of us. So we will just come and go uh, in our own lives and in yours as we please, if that's all right. Um, but please share any comments and thoughts uh, with us on socials. And for all other things we spoke about today, like forming new habits, um, you can check out our show notes. Bye. Bye.